Good morning. You can be seated. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Adrian Christian, and I am one of the pastors over at Trinity Anglican Church. And I'm so grateful to be able to be here with you all today. Um, I'm gonna say a prayer for us and then begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence. And Lord, I just pray for the word that you have given me today, that it would um, just teach the people who are listening as it has been teaching me. Lord, speak through me. May it be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, So today I will be talking out of the book of Genesis. I know that um, you all have been working through the book uh, over this summer. And when John and Jana asked me to preach, I got really excited because Genesis has been um, very special to me in this season over the past couple of years. Um, So this week actually has been a hard week for me. Um, And I, I don't know, your body kind of knows sometimes some things and I was reflecting like, why? Why has this been a hard week? And the reason is, is because actually a decade ago yesterday, I moved overseas to live in the Dominican Republic. And I was a missionary there for six years. And after moving, Um, or when I moved there, I jumped into a new culture. And anyone who has lived overseas or even in another part of the United States knows that there often with moving comes culture shock. And especially as a Christian going to another culture, I was very challenged um, by the Christians there. And I realized pretty quickly that culture influenced how people were looking at their faith and their relationship with God, how they read scripture, how they interacted with other people. And so we fast forward six years later in 2019, I moved back to the United States after having acclimated to another culture. And I experienced the same thing, culture shock. And I would say that I'm still experiencing that when just less than a year ago, I moved back to the South because I was living in Massachusetts previous to that. And I am constantly talking to God about what does it look like to live in the United States in this culture and be a Christian? And I really think that sometimes our culture permeates how we understand God. And my desire is to learn from God and to live a life as a believer, a believer that is actually above culture. And so today we are gonna look at a text that was in a different culture. And I do believe that we can learn a lot from other cultures. Honestly, I came back with a deeper faith and a more mature faith after having lived in the Dominican Republic. 
And even though there are some cultural things in this text that maybe might bother you a little bit, I believe that God has a great message for us and that we will see actually about family and spiritual family specifically. And we will see about prayer and the importance of that and having faith and about authority, which goes a little bit against our culture and about dependence. And it's a story about love. And so Genesis, we're in chapter 24. And uh, what's interesting about this text, when we actually get to verse 34, where the text starts, is that so much has happened. Abraham, he has been called out of his native land, and he's been called out by God, and he has been promised by God that he will have descendants and he will have land. And then Abraham, he moves with his family out of Ur, and he goes and he's old, very old, and he has a barren wife, but God has promised him descendants. And he has Isaac. Isaac is given to Abraham, and he's old, and his wife is barren, and yet God is faithful to his promise. And if we know the story, we know too that although Abraham was faithful, that he was also human, and he made mistakes along the way. And then he is tested by God with his only son, Isaac, to sacrifice him. And yet God spares him from having to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And when, by the time we get to Genesis, Genesis 24, Isaac has grown up and he's about 40 years old. Abraham, he is the even older man, closer to death. And Sarah has died. And she's been buried. And so we can imagine that this family is grieving. They are grieving the death of the matriarch. And we can imagine that Abraham is thinking, I'm getting older and God has made this promise to me that I will have descendants. And from me, there will be nations that are blessed through my descendants. And I will be given, the descendants will be given land. And so he sends his servant out to find a wife for Isaac. And he gives very explicit instructions. And he has the servant go to a distant land. The servant meets Rebecca, who we know, we know the rest of the story, that Rebecca ends up marrying Isaac. He meets Rebecca at a well. And then this story, what we're reading right now, actually takes place when the servant is at Rebecca's home with her brother Laban. And if I'd figured out the genealogy correctly, Laban is Abraham's brother's son, Abraham's grandnephew, which makes Rebecca Abraham's grand niece. And so they have arrived at Laban's house. He has extended hospitality to the servant. 
And the servant explains what happened. So the story has already happened and he's explaining it again. And we are in this place that is very, very different. It is the near east a long, long time ago where people traveled by camel or by foot. People extended hospitality to strangers. There were arranged marriages. People lived in tents because they were nomads. Women, they used veils to shield their faces from strangers and they put armlets on their arms and they had nose rings and that was a sign of engagement. It's a place where there were servants and masters. And here we see this servant who is sharing with Laban, I am Abraham's servant. And he explains to Laban that his master Abraham has become wealthy. Physical wealth, that was a sign of blessing during that time. So he says he has flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female slaves and camels and donkeys and even my wife when she was very old and supposedly barren, she had a son. Those blessings that were promised by the Lord, they came true. And he explains to Laban that he has received instructions from his master, instructions to go away from Canaan, because in the Canaanites, the Canaanites, they did not serve Yahweh. They did not serve God. And so he wanted someone to come from his family who would go along with his son and serving the one true God. And so he says, go. <laughs> Go, servant, to this place where my family is. And I don't know about you, but this relationship of servant-master, honestly, this word servant is the same as slave throughout the Bible. It's a little bit disturbing for me living in this day. And yet, it was a cultural norm then, and it wasn't slavery like we think of slavery here in the United States, where there is an abuse of power and where there was dehumanization. And the culture then, it was just different and it was what happened. There was slave and master. And I wanna submit to you that actually throughout the Bible, if we take culture out, we actually see this authority throughout scripture where people call themselves slaves and God their one true master. Abraham is a servant of God. Moses is a servant of God. Indeed, the prophets are servants of the one true God. And then we get to the New Testament and we see the disciples and they are servants of Jesus. They call him master. Jesus as the son is the servant, the humble servant of the one true God. We can go on, Paul, he calls himself the slave of Christ. And James and Peter and Jude. And so this text, although in a different culture, it invites us to think about God as our master. And it's a hard one, but God is a good master. If we can think of the most perfect and loving master, that is God, and we have the opportunity to submit to him. 
This servant in Genesis is given instructions, very clear instructions, and similarly, we are given instructions to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself, that as we go to make disciples, we are given those very clear instructions. And it's interesting in the story with Abraham, the servant is told that actually, the Lord would go before him, an angel of the Lord would go before him and give him success. And similarly, if we are Christians, we are told that we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us along the way. I wanna to submit to you today that if we are Jesus' followers, we are actually his servants, and he is our masters. He is the one who is meant to be our one master. Jesus actually talked about this. He said, you cannot serve more than one master. And when he was preaching about that, he was preaching about God and money. You can't have two. And I would submit some of us work in God. We can't have two. We have to choose success in God, culture in God, politics in God. We can't have two. We can only have one master. We have to pick who is going to have authority over our lives. There's a servant-master relationship where the servant also depends on the master. When I lived in the Dominican, I lived my first two years with a Dominican woman. She was kind of like the Mother Teresa of her town. And she had such a deep faith and I learned a lot from her. And I remember often I would ask her, how are you doing, Mirkeya? And she would tell me, dependiendo de Dios, depending on God. Oh, and I would be so frustrated. I want to know how you're doing. And her answer was always the same, dependiendo de Dios, depending on God. And I can tell you as I've matured in my faith that as life sometimes is hard, I really appreciate her answer. And I think it was the most honest answer that she could give. She was depending on God. Her relationship with the Lord was that strong. In Genesis 24, verses 20, 42 to 49, we see that there's a servant who really depends on his master. And his master follows God, he shows faith by actually going on this journey. Because the reality is that the length of travel that he had to go was about, it was like modern day Israel to modern day Syria, which is between two and 300 miles, and he was by camel. And so it would have taken about two weeks for him to get from one place to the other, this place that he probably had never been to meet a people that he did not know. It took faith for him just to start that journey. And then once he got there, he sat at a well, he says. <laughs> and he prayed to the Lord that there would be a woman who would come and give him water and that would water his camels. And the text says, that that would be the sign that he would know that this is the woman for Isaac. And before he finished praying, Rebecca shows up. Rebecca with a jar of water on her shoulder. And so he tries to discern, Lord, 
Is this the right person? And he does that by asking questions. Will you give me some water? She says, drink. Oh, and here's some water for your camels. And then he asks the next question because he has very specific instructions to get a woman from Abraham's family. And he says, who are you? And she explains that she is the grandniece of Abraham, basically. And his reaction is a response that he knows this is the woman for Isaac. God has led me here. And we know it because he sticks a nose in her ring and armlets on her arm, a sign of engagement. It would be like putting a ring on her finger in that moment. And then he responds by bowing down and worshiping the Lord. The servant in the story gives us a wonderful example of how maybe we should engage God during the journey. He took a step of faith after being given instructions. He waited at the well. He discerned and asked questions. And then once he understood that, yes, this was from God, he praised God. We are all waiting for something. Some of us maybe are waiting on friendships to deepen. That's where I am right now. Others maybe are waiting on God to open the eyes of a friend or a family member to know Jesus. Or maybe we're waiting on a job or waiting on a relationship to be reconciled or maybe for healing. And I think this servant's posture can help us a little bit that as we wait to pray, to discern, and when we see God working, to praise him. And our well doesn't look the same as it did in that culture, but Jesus, he is our living water, and it says that when we are thirsty to drink. I don't know where you are in your journey. Maybe you're ready to take a step or pray or ask questions or discern God's voice. But as servants, we have the opportunity to be dependent on God, our master. At this point in the story, the story transitions a bit. And this servant, he has been talking to Laban, and then they all go to bed. And it's the next morning. And the bride is invited to leave her home and enter into a new relationship. And I love it because Rebecca chooses to go with Abraham's servant. She actually has choice. She takes a risk. She has choice to go or not, and she chooses yes. She says, yes, I will. Will you go with this servant? And she says, yes. It's clear to the servant. He's already praised God for success in the journey, and it's clear to Laban, some, a part that wasn't in here, they actually give the family dowry, gold and silver in exchange for her. And we believe that it's clear to God too, his plan, right, for Rebecca to be with Isaac, and yet she has a choice, and she chooses to say, I will go. And it's very reminiscent of Abraham's choosing to follow God. And then this great thing happens. The family, they bless her. 
Blessing, like I said, is largely affected by physical blessing. And they say, may she become great, a great multitude. May she have descendants upon descendants upon descendants. And they bless her and may her descendants have land. And that is the promise actually that God gave Abraham. And so she leaves with Abraham's servant. She takes a risk. She's on her own journey away from what she's known before. When I left my home some years ago, it was a risk. I actually left behind my family and I left behind my friends and a good job that I loved. And when I came back here some years ago, that was a risk. It was a risk to come back to Atlanta and decide to pastor at Trinity. And when we say yes to something, we are saying no to something else. Yet in this story, we can see that God is leading Rebecca in a way of a promise, of a blessing, of an abundant life with him. Of course, I don't believe that everyone is supposed to leave their physical home. But I do think that sometimes our culture idolizes security and safety and comfort. And I think that God invites us to take risks sometimes, to leave behind what we know or what we're used to in order to experience a deeper relationship, a more abundant life with him. Maybe in your life, God might be asking you to open your hands and say, yes, I will send me. He might be inviting you into something new in this season, a deeper step of faith. Maybe you're not a believer and he's nudging you a little bit in that direction, asking, will you trust me into the unknown? Will you take a risk? Or maybe for some of you, there's an area of sin in your life that he wants you to leave behind or an unhealthy relationship. And God is saying, will you trust me? I have so much better for you. God gives us freedom to make choices and to take risks and to trust him to actually guide us. I don't know about any of you, but I am a sucker for love stories. I love them, even the ones that you look and in the first scene you know who the two people are that at the end are gonna fall in love. I love them, even if they are cheesy. I recently watched one on Netflix and it was this story of these young people who had a lung disease. And because they had that lung disease, they could not be near to one another, six feet apart they had to stay, but they fell in love and they made this decision to just stay five feet apart. And it was a beautiful story. I love a good story, a good love story. And this story of Rebecca and Isaac, that's exactly what it is. We can imagine that we're in the movie theater watching it. Rebecca has been too weeks on a camel, traveling 25 to 30 miles a day. And she arrives in Negev, where Isaac is. And Isaac, he's been waiting for his bride maybe for a month, 
hoping that the journey is successful. And he is walking in the field and he looks up and he sees camels and a servant and maids and somebody on that camel, who must that be? And she looks at him and he looks at her and she gets down off the camel and she takes her veil off because in that culture, that's what you do. Or she puts her, sorry, the veil on. And the culture, that's what you do to show respect for a stranger. She realizes that's her future husband. And the servant runs to him and tells the story about God's faithfulness. It is a love story. And then this long story ends abruptly. And it says that Isaac, he takes Rebecca into his mother's tent and they consummate the marriage and he loved her and he was comforted after his mother had died. It is a beautiful love story. If we were watching a movie, maybe the credits would roll the end and we can know that good things happen. God is faithful to the promise to Abraham. And yet I would say that the more correct way to end this would be to be continued. You all are gonna learn more about Rebecca and Isaac next week. But the reality is that it's only the middle of their story God had said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They've been promised by God that descendants will come. They've been promised abundance and land and yet the story ends that we were just talking about and God's promise to Isaac's father has not been fulfilled yet. We find these people in the middle of their lives actually not knowing what will happen, how it will happen, when it will happen. That is the story of our life. We're in the middle of it, some of us a little further along than others. And yet God is calling all of us into this beautiful love story, a journey where we get to engage with the greatest groom of all time. He gives us the choice to serve him over our country and over our culture and over our work and over our money and over our families and over our addictions. And he invites us to love him and to submit to him and have faith in him and to pray to him and to depend on him. This same God who is the God of creation and the God of Abraham is the same God who exists today. And he invites us into a perfect relationship where we experience true freedom and dependence on our one true master. I wanna invite you all to reflect on this. Thank you.